So it says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Uh, we'll pause on this verse a little bit. So in these days, what days are we talking about? You rewind, look at 542. Every day in the temple, house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is what? Jesus. What days are we talking about? These are the days that the word of God, or defined, Jesus Christ was being preached and taught. House to house, day by day. This is not, um, we, we want to define what, what, what these days are. Because when the gospel is being preached and taught, notice that they, it even left the big gatherings. It went to the homes. And I was just talking to some brothers and sisters earlier, like, you know, after this, it's okay. like we can talk a little bit more. Like things are starting to click and make sense. Maybe they heard Peter at Pentecost. Maybe they heard him when they got arrested. They were there at the gatherings, but it still wasn't making quite sense. And it was cool because these are the days when not just the apostles, but I think the disciples were all starting to really devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what we're looking at is days when Jesus Christ is clearly being talked about, preached, and heard. And not just heard, they're even seeing it lived out. Remember we looked a few chapters, chapters ago at the crazy Christ-centered culture that was going on in the church? we got to remember, these are the days that the disciples, now let's not just fly by that verse. You can write this down. We won't have to turn there. But Matthew 28, it says, Jesus says, all authority has been in heaven and earth been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. What is discipleship? Followers of Christ helping other people follow Christ as they're following Christ by learning how to obey the book. That's what was happening. A ton of Bible study and a ton of learning how to follow this Jesus, the Jesus that Peter talked about, that came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, the only righteous life that can approach the Father in heaven. And then he died the death that all sinners deserve. He didn't stay dead and buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And all who repent of their sin, place their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. They will have everlasting life. This is the faith. This is the message that they are trying to preach and teach. That's what's happening. And then the church, boom, starts to increase and grow. I want to make that clear before we move on, because this is not a local church that's growing in numbers because they're more seeker-friendly. They're very good at entertainment. They're really hip. They're really cool. They're very trendy. They give away a lot of free food. They have a lot of fun games. And those things in and of themselves are not bad. But that's not what's causing the increase here. We have to see that. What's causing the increase? The gospel. This is gospel growth. This is the days that we're talking about. The gospel's not being compromised. They're seeing guys get beaten up over this message. And then they come out of the jail cells stoked that they were counted worthy to get black eyes and bust up. That's the days we're looking at. These are the days when the Holy Spirit was so active that he was affirming this message by doing miraculous healings in the midst of the church. Peter's shadow. These are the days that we're looking at. And then 
the number of followers increase. This is so important for us to see as we move on. Because I honestly do believe and feel and sense that, you know, that's why I think like when, when, when I come across books like growth, uh, church growth schemes and things like that, it just kind of gets me a little cringy because it's like, that, that's, that's what's growing the church. That's how we think. Remember, we just learned last week, if this is of man, it will what? Fail. We don't want man-centered ministry and, in, and draw crowds. If it's of man, it'll fail. If it's of man, it'll fail. But if it is of God, it, it can't be stopped. That's what we're seeing happen. And, we, and, and pay attention to that because even as Mel was sharing, like, you know, as, as life goes on, you guys might not live in Newtonwana your whole life. God might call you overseas. You might, get, you might go to school somewhere and, and you're going to need to find a local church and a place to suit, root yourself and get established in there. Please be clear and careful that the gathering you're going to, it's not just a bump in gathering and don't be so, don't be so taken by that. Like, oh, cousin, everyone's going here. Let's go. Because numerical growth does not does not equate to spiritual growth or health right away this numerical growth though is the kind of numerical growth we pray happens in our days the gospel being preached people called to repentance placing their faith in this jesus and here we go right this is not an increase of number because the apostles got a slamming spot now with air conditioning and you know, they got a barista around the corner. So now all the people are coming through. No, this is because the gospel is being clearly preached. So that's what's happening. Um, and as a result of the church growing, here we go. It gets a little bit uh, heated, sort of. So they're increasing in number and a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected and they distribution kids. Go slow here, because I'm slow, all right? There was a complaint. Now, Sherry brought this up earlier in observation time, but this is not them coming to the leaders and saying, you know, this is an issue. Like, what do you guys think about this? The, the word study, it says murmur. It even says this, to a discontentment uttered under your breath as a secret displeasure, not openly, about. So it's that kind of what's happening here that the Greek speaking Jews, um, there's about thousands of them, and they see their widows who are like them. They're not getting food. And so the Hellenist brought us start getting a little salty. And you start to see this body language start ch just changing like, huh. They look over at the Hebrew widows. Huh. Full plate, huh? They look over at the Hellenist he widows. Because we's Hellenists, huh? Like, that's what was happening. It's kind of like that. And then there was this, but maybe they weren't that loud. Maybe they were just, like, in the corner, like, and then the other, the other Hellenists come, and then they start to chirp. Local people would be like, they're getting salty, and they're starting for chirp. And they're finding a little place over there to just chirp and express all their displeasure about what they see and what they perceive is messed up. Now they're starting to, because that, this is, this is dangerous, guys. This type of attitude, this stink attitude, this is dangerous. The, apostle, the apostles teach against this, right? 
First Corinthians 10.10, 10, he uses Israel's grumbling as an example. Like, hey, people are destroyed. Well, they were destroyed because they were complaining. Philippians chapter 2, he says, your attitude should be that of Christ. Not complaining and grumbling. And so this is starting to happen in the church. Lord have mercy, is it happening in ours? But anyway, we see that complaint. We talked a little bit about the differences between the Hellenists and the Hebrews in our observation time, right? So you kind of see what's going on. And the point is this. The church is growing, and it's coming with growing pains. And the first growing pain we're looking at right now is their attitude. You can write this down, Philippians 2.14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 1 Corinthians 10, 8 through 10, it says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. I think this is why Luke also wrote this down. For our instruction, to whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. You know what's very common to man and tempting is grumble and complain. Yeah, uh, auto mama's in the house, mm-hmm, right? Because we know auto cakey, just grumble, complain, right? But that's, it's crazy because this is really a young church. A lot of them are just coming to the faith. And what... Once they were united because they were identified by Christ, all of a sudden, they start to look at each other as Hellenists and Hebrews. Oh, this Howley or Hyen or whatever, or private school, public school. Or you start to look at all these labels in the house that Christ was supposed to destroy that when you came to the faith, right? What does Paul say? If any man be in Christ, behold new creature. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're not to regard anyone according to the flesh anymore. You're not supposed to look at each other through the lens of the world. So when I look at Joseph, I don't see the labels that the world puts on Joseph and me. I see brother. Does that make sense? When I look at Gabe, I don't see the differences that the world put, the labels that the world puts on us that would cause us to not be cool. I see brother. This is a supernatural community transformed by the gospel. Their identity is in Christ. But as they complain and grumble, their eyes are getting shifted off of their identity in Christ. And and then clicks come. The quicker we take our eyes off Christ in our Ahuana here, our family, the quicker the clicks will form. It's no longer about who we are in Christ. It's, It's going to be all these other worldly labels. He's cool. He's not. They're my age. They're not my age. They're rich. They're poor. They're left. They're right. Or whatever. All these worldly labels. Hellenists. Hebrew. No, brother, sister in Christ. But you see, this is, this is the growing pain. They're going to have to work through this. Where are they jumping to Conclusions. So do they think the apostles don't care about the widows? No, the apostles very clearly taught. James, chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that's pure and faultless. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. He also writes to young Timothy, a pastor of a new church. I think it's 1 Timothy 5. 
a whole section about how to care for the widows. The apostles loved the widows. And they're in a church of about 20,000. And this is where we kind of bleed into that next growing pain of administration. So anyway, we see this. And just as we see these things, check our hearts. Family, please check our hearts. Search, ask the spirit, any complaint, any grumble towards a brother or sister. You look at them and you don't see brother in Christ. You don't see sister in Christ. You see the worldly label that you've placed in your head and heart. And it's causing a subtle but maybe deeper division than you know. This is deadly in the life of a church. Complaining, grumbling, and division? Why is this such a big deal? Because if the people of God are divided, their witness to the world goes down. What did Jesus say? The world will know your mind by the way in which you love one another. They'll know you're my disciples. You're a follower of Christ because you love someone that's unlovable. You're friends with someone that makes no sense according to the world. And what do we tell them? Christ. Jesus Christ changed me. That's how we pray. That's what's being attacked right now. That's the growing pain they're working through right now. So Lord, have mercy on us. If there's any kind of cliques forming in our church or any kind of complaining and grumbling or any kind of undermining of leadership or thinking this or that, jumping to these assumptions, we need to repent tonight. And we need to be careful. Remember, 1 Corinthians 10, because of grumbling, they were destroyed. That salty attitude is deadly. And it is contagious. So anyway, we read on. Growing pain number two, administration. Said they neglected in daily distribution. So there was this mealtime, widows, and it seemed like the Hellenists were not getting the distribution. It doesn't say that they were intentionally doing this. We believe this is an administration problem. I mean, I just want to pause and just acknowledge the brothers and sisters who helped serve the food on Wednesdays. You can share them some aloha right now. They have been faithfully, yeah, in little hands, yeah, they've been faithfully cooking and just even putting some thought and prayer into allowing us to share a meal. And I'm not quite sure how much of us come on a Wednesday night, but there's a good handful of us. But can you imagine getting ready for 20,000? Holy moly. I wonder, I was thinking about this. I was like, I wonder if Peter and the boys, when they heard this, this complaint come about the food getting distributed, if they had flashbacks of the feeding of the 5,000, like, oh no. Because when they did the feeding of the 5,000, they probably were, they didn't have the right attitude and they probably were not administratively all together. They were just like, oh, send them home. Just send them home. Send them home. You know, send them home. They can get their own food. Jesus is like, you feed them. You know, it's like, oh no. You know, and so I'm wondering if Peter and the boys are just like, oh, okay, get everybody together. Um, we can't do this. No, I don't, I don't know. That was just my playfulness. But, but there's definitely what we see here is an administration problem. There was an oversight. That's noteworthy. You know what's noteworthy to see? Is the apostles didn't see themselves as the solution to all the problems. There were some hidden, there were some issues going on in the church that they found out about in secret. They were murmuring. So they just kind of caught wind of this perhaps. And they brought it. One thing they did, though, that we'll see in a little bit is they brought the whole church together. But I want us to see this. They didn't just, they didn't think, oh, you know, we got this. You know, we the apostles. We'd be healing everybody. 
Say, oh, what's the problem? Not enough food? We got that. What did they do? They summoned the full number of the disciples. I like that. They brought it out on the table. You're talking about an issue here in secret? You know what? Let's have a family talk right now. Family business meeting, special call. Let's go. No more murmuring in corners. Let's, let's talk this out as a family. The whole church, the congregation gathered. I love that. This is really neat. The apostles were exercising great leadership here, I think. They didn't want to hide the rest of the problems from the whole church. They wanted transparent church leadership. Let's all take a look at this together. Love that. They got the whole church together. I asked you earlier if you had some family meetings that were awkward and tense and whatnot. I, I know my pops and my moms come on Wednesdays, and I want to take a chance to just mention this. I mean, we've had a number of family meetings in our lifetime. Oh, we have. Me and all my siblings, we know a lot. And every single one, not, maybe not every single one pops, but almost all of them are intense and serious. <laughs> but one thing I've learned from my, my parents and my pops especially is his heart and desire to get the whole family involved. Like, I want everyone to be a part of this. And me as a young Keiki, I kind of was all maybe in my head, all sour about it. Like, uh, I'd rather just go play sports or something, but, or whatever. But one thing I love about how my pop led our home is when we have to talk as a family, we're going to talk as a family. And this is how the apostles are exercising leadership here. Let's, let's get it all, to, let's all get together. And I just really, I pray that, that I could do that for, for my own family. But transparent church leadership is happening. See, the apostles recognize that they're just a part of the body. See, what do they say? They say things like, um, I lost, oh, right here, oh, there's my Bible. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They're not downplaying serving tables. It's just they know they've been, in, they've been given a role. They've been commissioned by God. This is their calling to preach the word. Later, we're going to see, give themselves to prayer. Verse 4, and the ministry of the word. But I want us to see this very clearly first, that the apostles, when it came to this administrative problem, they didn't think themselves as the solution to everything. I hope and pray that we don't have a church where it's just like the pastors do everything. The pastors and then the deacons do everything. So when you become a member of our church, what you're doing is you're signing up to sit and watch. No. We're a family. We all play a part in this. We're all responsible for what's happening when someone's, there's an oversight, when there's an issue here. You know, something I put down personally and practically in this as I was studying through this is just praying for our own family business meetings that we have once a month. And I'm really encouraged when some of you, especially you younger men and women, you want to be a part of those things. You want to show up. You want to get there. That is really cool. And when we show up, we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, like, I'm here to help. I'm here to be a part of this. We do not, it's unhealthy if a church is a church where there's a, there's a 15, 20% of the members of the guys, they do everything. And then the rest, 80% of us, we just come, cruise, watch, get entertained, leave. That's not what's happening here. That's not how the apostles are trying to disciple and lead the church family here. 
they recognize they're just a part. Let me read to you um, 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to bounce around, so let me just read you some verses. Verse 14, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, which is kind of fun to think about, the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God, this, note this, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 27, you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongue. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracle? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? You see the point he's making? We're one body made of many different parts. I'm so glad we're all not, we're all not noses. That would suck. <laughs> we're all just about, you know, and I'm so thankful. Well, Lord, help us because this is the temptation to grumble. It, can you imagine if my feet were complaining against my hands or my hands against my feet? And just like, my hands are just like, bro, how come I got to be hands all the time? I just like be feet sometimes, cuz. Let me feet, please. All right. You can be the feet. But no, see, God has arranged and already organized all the different various parts. That's why the apostles were like, it's not good if we do this. Because God had chose and said that we should do this. See, what the apostles are doing, which I love, is they're trying to bring clarity to their ministry role, but then also help the church identify other ministry roles that are needed. You see what they're doing? In the life of this local church, you know, I am so thankful that there's a, there's a diversity here. And if you've been attending our church for some time or even just visiting or even if you just became a member and, and you've been here for some time and you're starting to feel like a little awkward or out of place or like you feel like you don't fit, well, hey, the differences are our strengths. You're a different part of the body. And we need to ask the Lord for his spirit and grace and wisdom to help us figure out how we function together. He, what, what the apostles are doing is trying to build an active church membership. Notice things where he says, you pick them out. Let's all come together. You pick them out. And then these men, let's affirm them together. They're doing this as a family. They didn't think to themselves, ah, we got this. We're the apostles. Thanks for letting us know. Just go back and chill. Wait, I'll see you next week. Let's, let's hit this a little bit. Verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. I, I want to I touch upon this a little bit before we, we finish up here. Um, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is a sign of pride and self-sufficiency. The apostles learned to pray from Jesus. 
If there was anyone that could have said, I don't need prayer, it would have been Jesus. But you read Luke's account of Jesus' prayer life. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, he is constantly withdrawing to desolate places to prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples says, teach us to do that. Jesus was praying in a certain place, teach us to do that. The apostles learned from early on, they must be men of prayer. We cannot compromise this. It's serious. Your prayerlessness, my prayerlessness, our personal prayerlessness is probably good evidence that we think we're self-sufficient. We don't need prayer. We don't need to ask God. We got this. And you would think, after all the increase, after all the fruit that these apostles have seen and participated in, that would have been tempting to think they got this. We don't need to pray that much. But if anything, no, the opposite was true. The, the apostles like, we need to pray more. Let me read you this quote. This is from lecture to my students. Spurgeon, he writes, The minister who does not earnestly pray over his word must surely be vain and conceited. He acts as if he thought himself sufficient, therefore needed not to appeal God. Yet what a baseless pride to conceive that our preaching can ever be in itself so powerful that it can turn men from their sins and bring them to God without the working of the Holy Ghost. If we are truly humble-minded, we will not venture down to the fight until the Lord of hosts has clothed us with all power and said to us, go in this thy might, go in this might. The preacher who neglects to pray much must be very careless about his ministry. He cannot even comprehend his calling. He cannot even have computed the value of a soul or estimated the meaning of eternity. He must be a mere official, tempted into a pulpit because of a piece of bread which belongs to the priest's office is, is very necessary to him. Or a detestable hypocrite. He loves the praise of men and cares not for the praise of God. He will surely become a mere superficial talker, best approved where grace is least valued and a vain show most admired. He cannot be one of those who plow deep and reap abundant harvest. He is a mere loiterer, not a laborer. As a preacher, he has a name to live and is dead. He limps in his life like a lame man in the Proverbs whose legs are not equal for his praying is shorter than his preaching. The apostles knew this. Young men who have approached me recently, you, you sense a calling to the ministry? You sense a calling to husband your wives and raise your children up in the word, in the Lord? You want to make some kind of an impact for the kingdom of God? You pray your knees off. You pray, 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 because this is not by the power of man. This is all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we become prayerless, we are prideful in that moment, as if. And the apostles learn, we must pray. We must give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's another big noteworthy one right there. Prayer and the ministry of the word, they go hand in hand. They did not want to compromise the gospel message that they were bringing. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you, Timothy, preach the word. Why? Because faith comes from hearing, Romans 10, hearing the word of Christ. The church needed to learn that this is very important. This is primary. So for us as a church family, those of us who are members here, 
We got to help and make sure that whoever comes and teaches, whether it's in the pulpit, Sunday school, wherever, however, we make sure it's always the word of God. It's always Christ, Christ's resurrection being preached, Christ crucified, Christ raised. And if you sense at any time that any of your pastors are becoming prayerless, lifeless, mechanical, please pray for us and then approach. Ask, how are you doing? If, I, if we stop, if, if Pastor Johnny and I stop teaching Jesus Christ, you should fire us. That's serious. We're all responsible here. These are things we need to glean from and see. Let's, let's finish off. Verse 7. Oh, sorry. So, verse 5. They said, what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, um, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas. Parmenas, I think Gabe did a better job of this. And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. We don't know much about the other guys, but Stephen and Philip, we're going to see in just a little bit. These guys are solid. They knew their stuff. They were men of the faith. They knew the gospel. Verse 6, they, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This is such a timely text for the life of our church, too, because on Sunday, they just announced, right, like praying for deacons, praying for things like that. Like, this is crazy. But notice this. They didn't just choose anyone, like someone said in the observation time. They chose men full of faith. Faith in what? The gospel. They knew who they were trusting in. And they're full of the Holy Spirit. For those of us, who, you guys who have been serving and, and waiting on tables on Wednesdays or even Sundays or whenever, any type of service ministry in our church, it's deadly to, to serve and not be full of the Spirit. It's deadly to be serving and not be full of, of faith. This was, this was the requirement. And so they set these before the apostles. They prayed, laid their hands on them. That's so cool. You see that family, that affirmation? That's good. That's a healthy church right there. We ought to pray and think of one another like that. Affirm each other. Affirm each other in the ways in which we believe perhaps God is calling and using us. But notice this. When there is an active church membership, notice the solution wasn't apostles do everything. The solution was an active church membership. Then we see what happens. Verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I love that word increase. It's the picture of a plant, a seed that's sown, and it slowly starts to grow. It's also a picture of a baby that's conceived, and it slowly starts to grow and increase. That's really, really a neat picture. That's that Psalm 1 picture. But active church membership resulted in this greater growth in discipleship. More people following Christ and helping each other follow Christ. I love that. The local church ought to be a place where discipleship happens. This should be the primary place. I was thinking and praying through this, and I just thought, man, my last five years just being a part of this church, just a member, not, not even just past, not pastoring, just a member, just a part of this. I've been so discipled by so many, like, I think of Sunday mornings. I'm discipled by Auntie Flo in the back, who's just got that beaming glow on her face, always. She's here early sweeping and then smiling. Serving with Pastor Bob and Pastor Johnny. I've been so discipled by Bob's compassion. John, Pastor Johnny's just amazing work ethic and how he does things all the way through. Faithful servant. 
I'm so discipled by these examples. I'm so discipled last week by Sovereign and her questions, her, her deep, deep Bible questions that sends me back into my study for another hour because I'm not really sure. But that's a great question. I'm so discipled by her hunger to ask questions. I'm discipled by the families here who have multiple children, not just the dwarves, but the other families that we see on Sunday. And I'm, I'm looking at the parents and how they talk, how they act, how they treat one another, how they raise their children. I'm looking at the children. I'm, I'm looking at them because they have Christ in them and they're teaching me how to follow Christ. This is the word of God increasing and discipleship is just abounding. It's happening all over the place. I'm discipled by Isaiah and his humility to in the middle of the night. If he's, having some, he's dealing with something, he gives me a call. I need prayer. And he just... I'm so dis I've been so discipled these past five years by just being a member of this church. We're all discipling each other. And when all of our memberships begins to be more active, the word of God will increase and more discipleship happens. Lastly, it says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Active church membership resulted in greater evangelism. This is dope right here. Can you imagine how stoked the Peter and the boys who got beat up because of the priests throwing them in jail and then seeing them now come to the faith? Like, I saw you at Pentecost. You was giving me stink eye. Come here, brother. Can you just see how crazy this is? Active church membership resulting in greater discipleship and greater evangelism. This is great commission stuff, man. This is good stuff. And one thing I just want to we'll finish on with the priests, I mean, because we're going to see later Saul, who is Paul. Like, these guys were probably the most unlikely that maybe perhaps they thought would come to the faith. These were enemies of the cross. These were people who passionately were greatly annoyed with, these, with this church. Now they're greatly obedient to the faith. I say that because if you're listening and you think to yourself as someone who's far off, you would actually more acknowledge and, and, and resonate with someone who is just more anti-Bible, anti-Christ, anti-this. And you have a hard time resisting it. Or you, you know a family member or a friend that you've been praying for or you've been thinking out. Just resistant. The, don't, don't underestimate the power of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God's salvation for those who believe. So we keep preaching. We keep praying. We keep pouring ourselves out. We keep living this gospel-centered community. And you'll see, we'll see. The gospel will transform and change and save the most unlikely of people. Paul said this of himself in 1 Timothy. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Awesome stuff. We'll pause there. Just some encouragements as we pray out. Pray for our pastors, pray for our deacons, pray for our family business meetings. And as you pray, know that you are praying for the family that you're a part of. I know some of us in here, you, you've never thought of church membership, or you have, and maybe some of us, someone just told me tonight that they want to start taking the steps. Well, understand that when you put your faith in Christ, yes, you, you became reborn, and you're a part of a family now. Use the webpage to pray for our church. I just started doing that recently. Increase. Oh, I'm sorry. That's personal. <laughs> I wrote it down in my notes. 
some personal application I got to work on. <laughs> I'll tell you later if you want to know. But as the Spirit leads us, um, it's neat that Luke puts these little episodes in, you know. Um, and so as, as we're growing in grace and the growing pains come, uh, let's ask the Lord to continue to work us work, work through this as a church family. So anyway, let's let's pray out. Father, thank you so much for your word this evening. Thank you for um, Christ. Thank you for the gospel. We pray that you would work it so much into our church this month, this year. Um, an active membership. Uh, let us not be. Let us not think that you saved us for us to sit. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are saved by grace through faith. And then in verse 10, it says God prepared good works in advance that you should walk in them. The fact that we're breathing and we got one more day, there's more work to be done. And so spirit of the living God fall fresh upon us. And if there are men and women, families that you are anointing and setting apart to do some good works and specific ministries, areas of needs in our local church, raise them up and help us to work together as a family. Deliver us from complaining and murmuring and uh, help us to just grow. And that we bear fruit that lasts. We love you, Lord. Keep us abiding now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.